The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. The Minister for Finance, Pascal Donoghue, is with me in studio. And Minister, you're very, very welcome. Thank you, Kieran. Uh, to the show. Uh, can you explain to me first uh, this windfall taxes that's being described on energy companies and their profits? Um, why bring it in and how is it going to work? Uh, so we should bring it in because the way the energy markets work across the world and in particular in Europe means that there are some parts of our economy that are about to make an awful lot of profit purely due to the price of gas and electricity changing for reasons beyond their control. And it wouldn't be proper for some companies and some sectors of the economy to be making huge profits, while at the same time we've other parts of our economy running the risk of going out of business. Uh, So we're bringing in a set of mechanisms that if the price goes above a certain level, we're able to capture some of the higher profits due to the higher price back in tax. And how much will you capture? The figure of the range is possibly from 300 million up to about 1.9 billion. It would suggest there's an awful lot of uncertainty about how it might work. There is, uh, Kieran, and allow me just to explain briefly, because normally if you ask me how much a new tax is going to raise, you expect me to be able to give you one figure and a good reason as to why that figure is what it is. The reason today it's a range from three or four hundred million all the way up to 1.9 billion euro is it's enormously difficult to actually predict what is going to be the price of energy in 2023. If it goes above a certain level, the amount of profit that some parts of our economy make goes up hugely. And because of that, the tax goes up very quickly as well. If on the other hand, it stays at a very low level, not a lot is collected in tax. And that's why the government decided that best to give a range, uh, because we, like any other government in Europe at the moment, uh, are not in a position to predict what will be the price of gas and electricity next year. Your party colleague, Barry Ward, was sitting in that seat last week and he suggested a, a, a tax like this, while he would be supportive of it in principle, he thought it would be ineffective because companies would simply and legitimately bury their profits or reinvest them in a way that would mean they would just avoid paying this tax. And there is indeed a risk with that. Uh, But the way we have designed both of these taxes uh, really should minimise the risk. So what we are doing is recognising that companies will continue to be still profitable and may indeed be a bit more profitable than normal. But this higher level of tax will only kick in if they're making a super level of profit. And what we are doing is the tax in relation to electricity is going to be implemented by the CRU which is the Commission for the Regulation of uh, Utilities, so the regulator for the energy sector. And then for the tax that's in relation to uh, gas will be implemented by the Revenue Commissioner. So we'll have two different authorities in place with a lot of experience and understanding of these parts of our economy that will implement the charges. And those soaring energy prices, they're referred to quite a bit today by the OECD and their growth forecasts. Um, I mean, would it be fair to describe their predictions for the global and the European economy over the next 12 to 24 months as as not good, but as good as could be expected? I think that's a fair summary of it. If you look at the forecasts for Europe in particular, uh, the growth forecasts for Europe are coming down while the inflation forecasts are going up. And I need hardly explain to your listeners the reason why, because we all feel it in the cost of living and can see it in the effect of the war. Uh, But all that being said, if you look at where we are at the moment, virtually all of the change in Europe's economic performance is explicable by a war that's happening in Europe. 
uh, and uh, the growth forecasts for countries including Ireland still point to a very low level of growth as opposed to currently forecasting for a recession. And I think in the circumstances that we're in, that's as accurate as it can be based on the fact that we have a very high level of employment within our economies at the moment in the aftermath of COVID that for now is showing no signs of moving down despite the fact that inflation has gone up. Stagflation, though, is what some people fear might become the status quo from 2023 and possibly running into 2024. Just for what exactly is stagflation stagflation, and why is it something to be worried about? Stagflation is a combination of a very, very low level of growth or a recession uh, and a very high level of inflation. The last time this happened in many economies was towards the end of the 1970s and that was caused by a shock in the price and the supply of oil. So lots of analogies to where we are now reason we should be concerned about it is if you're in an environment in which inflation keeps on going up and growth keeps on going down, it's really hard to protect jobs and protect income and protect living standards if that happens. But that being said, at the moment, if we look at next year, there are good reasons to expect the level of inflation in 2023 to come down versus where it is in 2022. So that means that, of course, stagflation is a risk. Uh, but at the moment, our forecasts point to inflation going down as opposed to going up for a second year in a row. We have had some job contraction, though, in the tech sector, most obviously, in recent weeks. Is that something you expect to continue? Uh, So that risk is there, that it would continue. Uh, But that being said, if you look at the size of the technology sector here in Ireland, It grew massively since the start of 2020. And even if the worst forecasts in relation to redundancies were to come to pass, and I really hope they don't, and anybody who's losing their job, particularly in the run up to, well, any time of the year, but it's obviously a particularly difficult time to lose a job um, at this point in the year, every help will be given to assist them in finding a new job. But even if those redundancies were all to come to pass, the technology sector here in Ireland and particularly in Dublin is massively bigger than it was in 2020, hugely bigger because of the profound changes that are taking place and how our economies are becoming more digital. So the risk is there. But even with that risk, we're still going to have a record number of people at work in Ireland next year. And I believe the future for the technology sector in Ireland continues to be very, very positive. Despite, I mean, it it, it does present possibly, doesn't it, um, political problems for you and the other government parties. You know, if the narrative becomes one of, of a jobs contraction, economic storm clouds looming, and in that context, a continued housing and in particular rental crisis, it becomes harder to make the pitch for this government, doesn't it? Well, the, the least of my concerns in that kind of environment would be what our political narrative, our pitch would be, because what you're talking about there would be something that would have a really, really big effect on the lives, the living standards and the jobs of lots of your listeners. And this is why in answering your questions, I take care not to dismiss risks, but just to be honest about how likely I think they are of happening. And while there are possibilities that things could change even more next year, if I look at the Irish economy at the moment, we've never had more people at work. Our national finances are now in a very, very healthy surplus and we have a really low level of borrowing within our economy. So all of the different things that are capable of triggering a really bad reaction in our economy currently 
are in a good condition. And it's my job and the job of the government to continue to look after those things while obviously making progress and making quicker progress on where we are with housing as well. Um, I want to ask you about a story Emmett Oliver shared with us yesterday in his roundup of the business news. And it's a warning about foreign direct investment, the flow of it uh, reversing, not if not entirely reversing, but uh, starting to ebb a little bit in the other direction. And it, it was on the back of, of Northvolt, um, this big global battery company that are moving, they're Swedish-based, but they're going to expand now into the US. And it's on the back of, and you'll understand this, but just for our listeners at home, the unfortunately acronymed IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act. So it's the US's flagship green technology legislation. Basically for Northvolt, it's about... 600 million to 800 million worth of subsidies compared to about 155 million that they would get here. Now, Emmanuel Macron has suggested Europe needs a wake up on this point. Do you agree with the French president? And if so, what is the wake up? President Macron is raising a very important point that we're going to have to consider very carefully in Europe. And there's a trade ministers meeting happening in Brussels uh, on Thursday um, uh, in which this issue is going to be discussed And just to elaborate for your listeners what is going on here, um, what is now happening in America due to a a new law that has been brought in is not only is the manufacturing sector benefiting from lower energy prices in America because they have access to their own energy. Um, The um, American government is making a higher level of subsidy available to some parts of the manufacturing economy to incentivise their location in America. And Europe is going to have to engage in this and consider a response. I think there are two parts to this response. The first one is we need to talk to America about this. uh, Because if we get locked into who can deliver the biggest subsidy, that Mm. will benefit nobody in the end. And a meeting is going to take place between America and the European Union on this topic in the month of December. And then the second thing that we'll have to do here in Europe then is look at how we can ensure that the industries that are capable of delivering growth and better living standards for Europe in the decades and indeed in the century ahead, that we have our share of them located in Europe. Now, I hope we don't get to the point of having to have that discussion and I hope we can manage this in a constructive way with America. Uh, but it is something that we're going to have to consider. The sort of response to President Macron's call mm. is the engagement that's about to happen with the US. And that trade minister's meeting is happening on Thursday. On Thursday, you find out as well if you're a step closer to your own European gig being renewed? Yes. So the deadline for whether there'll be another candidate for president for the role of the office of president of the Eurogroup is on Thursday. Uh, uh, 11 o'clock Irish time. And is there an expectation that any other hats will be thrown in the ring? I I have uh, now stood in enough elections to know that such predictions at the moment could be counterproductive, Ciarán. So I've got a good response uh, from lots of countries and I'll continue to make my case. All right, okay. So there'll be news on on that front, uh, some sort of news uh, on Thursday. I want to ask, Minister, about something that's not necessarily your uh, ministerial bailiwick. It's literally your bailiwick, your constituency. It's the protests that happened in East Wall yesterday and on Saturday as well about up to about 380 asylum seekers being housed in an old ESB building. Would you describe some elements of that protest as racist? So I am, uh, I am really, really concerned um, about some of the language that I've heard before I describe it as being uh, racist, because that's a very strong term to use. I'm going to engage uh, directly uh, with uh, the groups and residents that have been involved in this because it's in my constituency. 
uh, the people of East Wall uh, that I've had the great privilege of representing now um, uh, for my third term in the Doyle are enormously decent uh, and an amazingly strong and welcoming community. Uh, and uh, genuine concerns are being raised uh, by some many residents there uh, regarding the location of this facility. And I'm going to engage with those genuine concerns. What, what genuine concerns? Uh, well, just about the scale of the facility that is there, uh, the safety of for people who could be located in it and what the long term use will be of a building. I, I don't think the people protesting last night were worried about the safety of the people in the building. Well, people who are raising the issue with me are raising concerns regarding the use of the building. The huge challenge that we have at the moment is migration flows to Ireland. Um, and this is happening to many other countries across Europe, are changing very significantly because of the war in Ukraine, because of what's happening in Iran, what's happening in the Middle East and what's happening with Syria. And Ireland does have to play its part in looking at how we can look after people who come Mm. to our country as a result of that. And um, I'll be making the case for Ireland, for my community, the communities I represent, playing our part in that response. And then issues uh, that are being raised by communities that relate to how we will engage with those facilities, I have a duty to engage in and I will. If you won't go so far as to call them racist, will you condemn some of the language? Oh, yes, I will. Some of the language that has been used, you know, I do find, um, you know, I have a very different and strong view in relation to. It's not language that I would use. Admit some of the language. The North Inner City has been destroyed with foreigners. That's what we heard earlier. I don't believe it has been destroyed with foreigners. And I believe we have a very rich and multicultural and very strong local community within the North Inner City. And I completely reject that kind of language. Um, and But uh, what I'm going to do is continue to engage with residents and groups who are raising some of these matters. But I'm really clear that some of the language that has been used and some of the approach that has been taken I do disagree with and it's not language that I would use and not language that I believe many would and, use. And after you consult with them, uh, might you then be more ready to acknowledge the language is racist? Well, I'm being very, I hope I'm... I know you don't want to use the word, but I think when, when something's racist, people should call it racist. Well, I'm being, I hope, being really clear in condemning and making clear I don't agree with language that has been used. Uh, but I, uh, when you use the word racist... I'm also aware that clearly that involves acknowledging that those who are using that language are also racist. And what I want to do is continue to engage in the coming days with some of the issues that are being raised before I use that kind of language myself. But I'm really clear in saying that while there are significant issues that I know are there, that I'm hearing, that are due a response, on the other hand, uh, there's language and some issues that are being raised that I do disagree with. And as somebody who's had the privilege of representing Dublin Central and the amazing community of Eastwall now for a long time, um, I'm very clear in saying there's some language there that I do not agree with. Minister for Finance, Pascal Donoghue, Minister, thanks a million for joining Thank us. Thank you, Kieran. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.